Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of the Daily Book Club a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. We hear all the time how a criminal escalates into something much more dangerous and demented. On July 3rd, 1961, a predator was born who continually fell through the cracks of the legal system, allowing him to escalate from harmless acts of childhood exhibitionism to sadistic child molestation to murder. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Wesley Allen Dodd was born on July 3, 1961, into an emotionally distant family living in Richland, Washington. They were a family where the words, I love you, were never really spoken, and according to his diary, had a father who was both emotionally and physically abusive, who got into violent fights with his wife that his children were made to witness. He was an outcast at school, had no friends, and by age nine, knew that not only was he gay, but that this was something that would further ostracize him with his family and peers. Beginning at the age of 13, Wesley began exposing himself to the children in the neighborhood. His family, who said he was otherwise a good child, ignored these warning signs. Warning signs that were about to begin to escalate into something more dangerous. By high school, he had progressed to molestation, starting with his own cousins, and then moving on to children he offered to babysit. And by 15, he was arrested for indecent exposure, but was only sent to counseling. 
By age 20, he was ready to escalate once again when he attempted to abduct two young girls who promptly reported him to police, who then took no further action. The next month, he joined the U.S. Navy and was sent to a base in Bangor, Washington. Instead of setting him on the straight and narrow, the Navy just offered him the opportunity to abuse children in another location. On one occasion, Wesley offered a group of young boys $50 to come to his motel room and play strip poker. He was finally arrested, but despite confessing that he planned to molest the boys, he was released with no charges. He was arrested again just a few months later for exposing himself, was discharged from the Navy, and spent 19 days in jail while attending court-ordered counseling. By May of 1984, he was arrested for molesting a 10-year-old boy, but only received a suspended sentence. How no one, not those close to him or law enforcement, saw that he was progressing into something dangerous is honestly baffling. He was able to freely prowl and place himself in the direct path of children with very little issue. He wasn't some trench-coated stranger that children were taught to flee from. He was a mild-mannered man who played games with kids, gave small gifts, and coaxed them into dangerous situations. He was good with the kids and planned his entire life around making sure he had access to his targets. He moved into an apartment only a block away from one that housed a number of children, worked fast food, and was a charity truck driver. All things he could do because he was not a registered offender. He began repeatedly molesting preschool-aged children in his neighborhood, many whose parents declined to press charges out of fear of what reliving the trauma would do to their mental state. In 1987, Wesley attempted to lure a young boy into a vacant building, but the boy refused and called police. Prosecutors were aware of his lengthy history, but because he did not actually touch the boy, recommended only five years in prison. He was placed on probation so he could seek psychiatric treatment. When his probation was over, he moved to Vancouver, Washington, and began working as a shipping clerk. It was here that he found what he believed to be the perfect hunting ground, David Douglas Park. Over the next few years, he was arrested several times for child molestation, and each time, only made to serve a short sentence or just given court-mandated therapy. His 50 or so victims were all below the age of 12, some being as young as two and mostly male. But just like when he was younger, he was ready to escalate his crimes and the more he thought about it, the more he had formed his plan to take the life of one of these boys. On September 4th, 1989, Wesley went to the park armed with a fish fillet knife and shoelaces. He lured two brothers, 11-year-old Cole and 10-year-old William Near, to a secluded area and forced them to undress. He then tied them to a tree and began molesting them. When he was finished, he stabbed them both and fled. When they were discovered, Cole was already dead while William died en route to the hospital. Following their deaths, Wesley began a macabre scrapbook of newspaper clippings and facts about the murder so he could continually relive his crime. On October 29, 1989, he drove to Portland, Oregon, where he came into contact with a four-year-old named Lee Izzelli and his nine-year-old brother, Justin, at a local park. Justin went home while Wesley successfully lured Lee away and drove him back to his apartment in Vancouver. He ordered the boy to undress and tied him to the bed where he took photos and molested Lee, even jotting down every detail in his diary. 
He kept him overnight and the next morning strangled the little boy to death with a rope and hung his body in the closet to photograph it. To photograph it and add it to his scrapbook. He stuffed the nude body in trash bags and disposed of them in the bushes near Vancouver Lake before burning any trace of the boy still in his apartment. Everything except his underwear that he kept as a souvenir. Lee's body was found a day later, and a massive manhunt for his killer began. Wesley kept a low profile and began making plans for his next abduction, even constructing a torture rack. On November 13, 1989, Wesley entered the New Liberty Theater in Camas, Washington, and found his next target. When six-year-old James Kirk left the movie to use the bathroom in the lobby, Wesley took this as his chance and began leaving with the boy. However, concerned employees noticed that the boy was fighting and crying and began raising questions. Hearing the ruckus and knowing James went to the lobby, William Graves, the boyfriend of the boy's mother, came out to the lobby to hear that the boy had been abducted. Wesley released James just before getting into his car and driving away. But unfortunately for him, his car broke down a short distance away and he began trying to get the motor started when he was approached by a man asking to help. That man was William Graves. Put Wesley into a headlock, dragged him back into the theater while employees called the police. When he was arrested this time, it would be for good. He was quickly connected to the murder of the Nears brothers, as well as Lee's, and after just an hour in custody, Wesley confessed to his crimes in so much detail that the interrogators got sick. A search of his home found more than enough evidence and Wesley Allen Dodd with three counts of first-degree murder and attempted kidnapping. He initially pleaded not guilty, but changed his plea and, in 1990, was sentenced to death. Wesley refused to appeal his case, stating that, if given the chance, he would kill again and chose to be hanged as it was the manner of death for Lee Izzelli. He spent the time leading up to his execution writing pamphlets for parents on how to protect their children from men like himself, and for the most part, was a model prisoner. And on January 5th, 1993, he willingly became the first legal hanging in the United States since 1965. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.